0: Welcome to Accidental Gods, to the podcast where we believe that another world is still possible and that together we can make it happen. I'm Amanda Scott and I spent the first nine episodes of this podcast laying out the basic toolkit that we think is essential to making conscious evolution a possibility, which is the premise behind the whole Accidental Gods project. This podcast, the website, and the membership portal that lies behind it. Since then, we've been exploring the extraordinary, living, inspiring intersection where art meets activism, politics meets philosophy, and science meets spirituality, from which we can craft a vision of a future that is generative for all of us, for the human and the more-than-human worlds. My guest this week is someone who exemplifies the qualities that we have been talking about in recent podcasts. Sophie Miller is a spiritual activist in all senses of all of those words. She's been a member of Extinction Rebellion from the start, one of those trembling, or perhaps not trembling, warriors who takes to the streets to bring about change. And after the first April rebellion in 2019, she became one of the first wave of the Red Rebels, the silent, earth-connected, energy-connected people who walk into the energy of a sometimes very fractious space and transform it completely. As you'll hear, Sophie is one of those people for whom action is a necessity, but she does it with absolute grace and a connection to the land, to the energy, to the web of life that feels to me as if it leads the way that all of us need to go. Not that we necessarily need to become Red Rebels, though I'm sure there's room for more if you want to be part of that, but we need to find that thread of life that Sophie talks about and learn to follow it, unattached to outcomes, but trusting that we're the right person, doing the right thing, in the right place, at the right time. We had some interesting sound challenges with this podcast, Sophie was on an iPad in Cornwall, and our usual sound recording software, the Zencaster, really didn't love any of that. So we defaulted to Zoom, which has a lot of good qualities, but studio quality sound reproduction is not one of them. And then Sophie's dog thought it was fun to come and join us. And in the end, we stopped with all the stops and starts, and thought we'd just carry on recording regardless, because you can manage a dog in the background. So... With apologies for the the not-quite-perfect sound, people of the podcast, please welcome Sophie Miller. So Sophie Miller, Red Rebel, activist and all-round extraordinary person, welcome to Accidental Gods. You are down in Cornwall, as I believe. How is it down there at the moment?
1: It's actually quite weather-ish
0: at the moment, Amanda. <laughs> so, Cornish weather, that means it's raining, with bits in between. But as we record, it looks like Joe Biden might be the next president of the US, and he wouldn't have been my first choice, but he definitely wasn't my second choice. <laughs> so, I'm i am glad that it worked out the way it worked out. It could be so much worse. It could still be much worse, but we hope not. So, with that little glimmer of hope on the horizon, I would like to spend today's podcast really looking into the red rebels of extinction rebellion partly because i was so moved by your presence at the my one really deep xr action in october of last year and each time the red rebels turned up the the wave of relief that i i felt was palpable real and to me quite extraordinary and since then you've done so much other work that has garnered so much really interesting attention all around the world. So before we look really at the Red Rebels, I'd like to look a little bit at the history of where they came from and then your history of how you became involved. So shall we start off with how the Red Rebels arose in the first place?
1: Yeah, absolutely, Manda. So the, the Red Rebels came about in the April Rebellion and they came from an idea from Invisible Circus with Doug Francisco and um, Justine Squire. And they created a, a kind of performance piece where Oxford Circus was, was like the circus. And there was a, a parade and um, there were lots of characters involved in this. And the Red People were part of this. They weren't. all all of it it was just an element of it I think it was quite last minute actually even down to sort of a few days before it was like what about the red people oh yeah the red people yeah what's really for the costumes um kind of thing so these red people kind of appeared and over the time in April they sort of took on their own life in a way that was almost outside of XR a lot of the times that they they appeared they weren't Necessarily within the XR demonstrations, so there was, there was a big photo shoot thing at the Natural History Museum. They they kind of they they popped up almost rather than it being all about them. And from that, they evolved into their own entity. They they seem to really capture the hearts of people and go straight into very very deep emotions. There was a moment on Waterloo Bridge which is quite well known now where the police had kettled an area and then the Red Rebels appeared and kind of came around the police and there was just a moment a very intense moment of emotion between the people the police and the Reds and after that other groups started springing up across the UK people were were interested in it Doug made some videos for how to make the costumes, how to do the movements and try to kind of decentralize it and um, enable people, empower people to, to take it on and do it for themselves. After that, it grew and it grew and it grew and now it's global. We, we have uh, Red Rebel Brigades throughout the world, um, in Australia, in America, yeah we have a, a global red rebel zoom occasionally and and um it's it's incredible really. it's wow. it really does it really has taken on a life of its own.
0: So can I dig a little bit deeper into his idea? So originally there were red people who were part of the circus within Oxford Circus. Was he basing this on something he had already done, or did the idea of red arise out of nowhere?
1: Well, it kind of emerged, if you like, and then it, it was kind of pinned down through the doing of it. So after performing it, Doug wrote something to try and pull it all together. I don't know if you'd like me to read that, maybe.
0: Yes, I think that would be lovely. Please do. Yes.
1: It's quite beautiful in it. And it really it really sums it up. It was that kind of... I don't know, sometimes when you're making, making artwork or certainly performance work, you sometimes you, you sort of channel into something and you're doing it and it's only as you're doing it that the meaning really starts to come through. So I'll read it now. Thank you. The Red Rebel Brigade symbolises the common blood we share with all species that unifies us and makes us one. As such, we move as one, act as one, and more importantly, feel as one. We are unity and we empathise with our surroundings. We are sympathetic and humble, compassionate and understanding. We divert, distract, delight and inspire the people who watch us. We illuminate the magic realm beneath the surface of all things and we invite people to enter in. We make a bubble and calm the storm. We are peace in the midst of war. We are who the people have forgotten to be.
0: Brilliant we are who the people have forgotten to be that is so beautiful and did he choose red he chose red then because blood because common bloods common to everything
1: i think uh, it was subconscious it was subconscious and then it kind of like yeah obviously then, it's blood okay. it's the blood but, of all species and and it's something which people really tune into definitely and you feel it you do feel that you are representing the blood of all species. It's it's such a, um, I don't know, a, just a, a common element across everything. It's instantly recognisable. It really, it mm. cuts straight in there.
0: And there must be other other cultures around the world. I'm aware, for instance, that in China, red is a very lucky colour, I think also in Japan. And I'm wondering, has the rebellion taken off in those two nations, and has it got a different slant to it there?
1: There's a Japanese group, but... Yeah, I'm I'm not sure in there's a group in India as well. So again, yeah, it still seems to be people kind of owning it in their own way and and going with yeah. the flow and still still doing it.
0: And so was Doug one of the red people in the April? So this is April 2019. Was he one of the red people then?
1: Yeah. This is April 2019.
0: Really? And and he was he wasn't one of the other characters. He was a red person. Yeah. And so he took part in the Waterloo Bridge action? Yeah. Excellent. And so when he writes and puts on YouTube about the, the drawing up the feeling, because he how to make the costumes is one thing, and I've watched the YouTube and it's fantastic, and, and it's like a giant IKEA kit but in fabric. I suppose that's what all sewing is, but I've never got to grips with sewing, so not my thing. But he also is speaking a lot about how to be how to be a red person, or now we call them red rebels. And it felt, from the first moment I saw the red rebels, it felt so deeply shamanic in terms of being utterly rooted in the land. It didn't feel like circus performance at all. It felt like something arising, living from the spirits of the land. And I'm guessing, or from what you're saying, that this is something that arose from within that original April Rebellion, but perhaps was not intended beforehand or was not fully articulated beforehand?
1: Um, so I probably need to speak just from my own experience of of performing it and um, inhabiting that space. But when I first, because I wasn't part of the original Red Rebel Brigade.
0: Yeah, so let's, let's go back to how did you become part of it? Yeah, I, I,
1: I saw the Red Rebels and just had an immediate feeling of there it is that's the only way I can describe it. there there it is whatever it is I don't know what it is but but it was that's that it. like there, there it is and um I thought somebody needs to set that up in Cornwall and then I've always worked on a philosophy as of well I'm somebody because <laughs> that's how things <laughs> get done because yes, you, you can are. spend a lot of your life thinking somebody needs to do that yeah. and then yeah. it never happens but I am actually also somebody so I need to do stuff so I thought, okay, well I'll I'll just do it then. Yeah, so gathered together a team of people, made some costumes, went out and did it. And it became through the doing of it and the understanding of it. Doug, as you as you touched on in the videos, talks about getting into the the headspace of it. You have to kind of get into the headspace and the heart space. For those who aren't aware of it, we moved really very very slowly all our movements are broken down into almost stillness so even a blink is done and a really slow speed so your your hands are moving incredibly slowly everything just slows down so it's very meditative doing it and almost by doing that by moving that slowly you you bring yourself into a different space you start inhabiting the world in a different way because we are out in the world we're not in a separate space we're outside in a a demonstration or, or wherever wherever we happen to be doing a performance it takes you into a different zone and a different way of being so the first time i performed it the only way that I could describe it was feeling like something opened up and you slipped in between two worlds Mm. and things you see things differently things become very different when you're in there and it was a surprise to me actually I didn't realize that it was going to be like Mm. that and um I know from talking to other people that the same thing happens to them And I think that that is why when we appear on a a demonstration in a very um, tense, volatile situation. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned um, the demonstration in October last year, the the one you're referring to at the BBC, which was very, very, very tense.
0: It was astonishing.
1: And when, when we arrive, we kind of like just slide in between the space and get in between, physically, in between the protesters and the police often. But there's something else there that you're kind of like opening up and letting an energy, a kind of calm energy enter in, a real stillness. One of the things that we feel is that we are, we're not part of the protest, we're witnessing the protest, right? Yeah. Some of the history which we've we've talked about is that we come also from a, a tradition of the Victorian mutes. I don't right. know if you've ever heard of them. The um, for people who don't know, they were basically hired mourners that the Victorians used to hire to express their grief for them at funerals because
0: so they didn't have to do anything as unseemly as cry
1: exactly so they didn't have to let their own grief out they were able to to hire someone to do it for them so in a sense we are doing that as well um hang on so this grief
0: was done silently at the victorian funerals
1: no okay see they they would definitely let it out Hmm. so that's probably the other thing i should mention we're completely silent we don't talk yeah for people who haven't seen us it's all silent and slow but we there's there's definitely grief work there as well that we're doing there's a, a um, an expression of the grief of the planet of the grief of the people that um that is sort of locked into people a lot at the moment i think
0: yes and do you find that you are actually grieving during an action when you're out on the street being that red line, thin red line between the activists and the police, or does that come out later?
1: That's a very good question. It very much varies according to where we are and what we're doing. So before we do an action, we will ground ourselves and tune in to each other. So there's a lot of preparation, obviously, with getting into the costumes and putting the makeup on and the practicalities. But then once that's done, there's time spent tuning into each other in a circle mm. and tuning into the earth as well. We do a lot of grounding and shielding. So we'll put a golden orb around ourselves to protect us when we're out and um, to hold us, basically. And mm. that is what we carry carry out with us into the space that we're going into.
0: And did Doug introduce that in his original ideas or is that something that's grown since?
1: I think that's something which has grown over time and from the practicalities of performing it and because of probably from my perspective because of the opening up that you're doing when you step into that zone it's something which is necessary and it's something that because it became obvious that it was necessary we've talked about that as a, a global group about people doing it to to protect yeah. themselves and it helps to to tune into each other anyway and make the performance stronger it's something which you do as a performance artist or a, a um if you're working as a group a theatrical group then you do loads of warm-up exercises you play catch you, you play to kind of tune right. into each other and and have that so
0: and do you do playing catch and that sort of tuning in as well
1: we do that in workshops. <laughs>
0: okay. All right. So by the time you go out on the streets, you know your group really, really well.
1: Ideally, yes. Right. Definitely.
0: Right. And one person is chosen to lead the the kind of meditative start or do you shift that around amongst yourselves?
1: We usually have one person who is a lead. Yeah, and then they will, they will hold that. It depends on the, the group that you're with, really. Okay. So within your group, you, we have area groups and there's usually one person who is the lead of that group and they will facilitate workshops and be the lead who takes people out when you go out you definitely need one person at the front who is making the decisions but you operate as as a whole so with the tuning in you become one body is it a zootrope like a portuguese man of war yes yes you're your one
0: organism. With with a brain that goes all the way to the end, like a dinosaur. Brains all the way down your spine.
1: Exactly. So, so do you know, because when
0: you, for instance, turned up at the BBC, I guess there were probably 30 of you, or maybe I'm exaggerating because it was such a profound experience, but it felt like quite a lot. And I always wondered, how does the person at the front know what's happening to the people at the back? Can you, because I'm pretty sure you were in front of that day, although I didn't know you then, but I recognised you afterwards. In spite of all the makeup, I would like to talk about the makeup in a moment, but in a day like that, you had, just because we arrived at the BBC at seven, nobody knew we were going there. You must have discovered we were there, realised we needed help, got yourselves together, got there, on the underground maybe, I don't know, and, and then you walk in. And how do you, as the person at the front of this long line of people, do you have a, a lived sense of each step of the way of each of the other individual people in your performance
1: you kind of do at the front but you you're more tuned into the people immediately behind you who are tuned into the people behind and in front of them okay kind of working on on that basis but you're sort of feeling the whole and I think probably the 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 shared movement helps maintain that because we we all we move as one so Mm. with we move it. We're walking incredibly slowly. Um, we will move our arms and the person at the front, when they move their arms, the next person starts moving theirs and the person behind them and the person behind them. So I think because we are sharing that space and that motion.
0: <laughs> the noises in the background are a dog, people. We have tried. <laughs> He's having fun.
1: Um, because we're sharing that motion, that helps us to tune in to our, keep our brains operating on the same level. Right. It's very hard to quantify because it's such a, a subtle thing. And I yeah. think that's why working with a group that you work with a lot massively helps. When we're doing theatre, <laughs> we call it complicity. It's the complicity of the group
0: right. that
1: carries you through. So nice. you, you know what each other is going to do. And you have that, that immense trust in each other and you, you, you tune in and you feel each other. Um, so it's, it's very, very similar to that.
0: And it must have, because I have been at theatre performances that were going that very badly sense? wrong. Yes, it does. It really does. And I'm thinking, and complicity is such a good word because in, when it goes right, there is complicity between the actors and the audience you're all complicit in building the energy of whatever the piece is. But I'm remembering in the days when I lived in Cambridge and used to go to kind of experimental theatre quite a lot, and there'd be the occasional ones that really just fell apart. And the audience is all sitting there going, I have no idea what you're doing. And the actors on the stage are obviously struggling. And then I'm transferring that to the streets where... Every time I've seen the Red Rebels in action, and, and not always your group, but often, there'd be a situation where the activists are being activists, and on the whole sitting down mostly, and the police are standing radiating rage and real anger most of the time. And then you come between those two groups. And and I had always thought your shielding must be impeccable or you, well, your shielding must be impeccable at some level because you're not picking up either the anxiety or in the case of the BBC, as I remember it, we had started off peacefully singing songs. But then at some point, not only had the police sent in the territorial support group, so the yellow jackets had now got a line of black jackets in front of them. And the black jackets are the guys who just don't take prisoners and are really up for a fight. And then the samba band came. And that was the point where I discovered the power of, of drums. I had been... I used to do battle reenactment. It's not the same thing, but you can kind of... Drums on a battlefield, you can see why they use them. But the samba band at the BBC, bloody hell. It was the, the call to action of that rhythm was almost overpowering. And, and there were a group was going, OK, now we have to sit down. And the police were like, oh, Jesus, fuck, this is it. Because, because you could feel the energy build. And at that point, by then, we were outnumbering them three or four to one. And there was a point when they'd outnumbered us several to one. Um, but more people had come, and then the samba band had come. And it felt like this thing was reaching a crescendo, and then the Red Rebels arrived. And I just burst into floods of tears of, oh, thank God, they're here. Um, and you walked in the middle of that energetic space, and, and I could see total relief on the face of the, even the TSG guys, who were spoiling for five, but said, OK, it's safe now. And you faced the police. You didn't face us. I guess you faced the greater threat, but I'd be interested in that one. But I'm really, really curious to know how it feels for you to walk into that energetic space and hold your own integrity.
1: Mm, yeah, it's amazing hearing it from your perspective, it's not something that I get to hear very often hearing what it what it's like to experience it and really interesting that you say about bursting into tears because that is an effect that that we we often have on people mm. like it's the emotional release yes really interesting to hear hear you say that to walk into a space like that you feel like you can almost see a wall of energy like on a on a subtle sense there's like a wall of energy around it all because we are so centered at that point because we are so tuned in Mm. there's very much a feeling of there's no choice but to go forward and into that wall and it's almost as though if it was a solid wall you have a feeling of it will open.
0: Yeah. There's a kind of a cleavage plane that you can enter into. That you said in the beginning, that space between. So you can, it's a virtual space until you enter it, and then it becomes a real space. I'm
1: yeah, I'm guessing. like it will open up ahead of you. That will that space is there, but there's a hundred percent commitment to moving right. into that space.
0: And and so, had you done a ceremony, kind of out of sight, round a corner to get, because you must have. I don't know how you get there, but. I'm guessing it was an underground. you didn't all cycle, but you've gone through the middle of London. And my experience then again, is you know two streets away from the action. you don't know the action is even happening. People are just going about their normal London life. and this is pre-Covid London. so it's busy. It's full of taxis and car alarms and and all the buzz of a city. and then and yet you're in that space when you get to the action. So do you stop just around the corner and and recenter the the action of
1: getting there you're centered in? yeah the whole time so from when when we from after we get dressed and into costume when we leave wherever we've got ready, then we're in character you we mm-hmm. don't break character when we are out no. at all. we stay you're in red and you are red and you're you're channeling it the whole time. You mentioned about what it feels like to to kind of step into that space and about facing yeah. the police,
0: yes, yes.
1: I think it can be a, a really big emotional release for them too.
0: I wondered. Yeah. Yes. Do, do you, have you had any conversations with either serving or former police about that?
1: Um, I have actually, uh, when I've been in the role as guide, because we when we go out, we have someone with us who can act as a guide as well.
0: Who's also acting as police liaison then?
1: Not police liaison, more like person liaison, just to keep us safe really because because we're silent and we don't talk and we're moving very very slowly and we are in a often a sensitive situation we need to have somebody with us ideally who can answer questions or just look out for our personal welfare um who's got an eye on us and an eye on our safety so um I've gone out a few times and done that with the group in London and um Talking to the police, then I kind of I used it as an opportunity just to find out what their experience was, because um, I was intrigued. And the people that I spoke to said that they they love it when we show up. Hmm. They were incredibly grateful because of the de-escalation effect from a practical level, the de-escalation of of us arriving because it just changes the energy and it was really interesting to hear that they could pick up on that energy shift as well and one of the things that we do or we, we certainly did in October when you stand and face a line of police was engaging with individual people on an individual level right so it's the common human element that we feel so you're standing there as a being making eye-to-eye contact with a, another being. Hmm. What role that being has is almost irrelevant in that situation. You just are existing two beings. And and it's the same whether you're gazing eye-to-eye with the police or with someone who's locked on to something right. or yeah. whoever. It's that shared blood, I suppose, that we have, being of one blood and we certainly found or or, what I've I've found that that um sometimes police will want to look anywhere but into your eyes eyes. and um you know the the flecks of dust on their shoulders becomes incredibly interesting in their (laughs) uniform they'll, they'll just look away look away look away try not to engage and then other people just will look and really engage and I think for them it can help well to say it for anybody doing that that deep looking into another being it can really help to process a lot of emotions that have arisen in an incredibly volatile situation. So volatile from a whatever side of the protest you're on, it's it's there, the emotions are there and um, they can be released.
0: Mm, right. Yes. Thank you. And and it, yeah, certainly looked like that, at the times when I was there, and so, if we move on a little bit from, London, October twenty nineteen, I met you in November, and quite soon after that, you were beginning to do, actions that were not red, you were beginning to move into other colours, representing other things. So I think before I had met you and possibly before the October rebellion, you had done an extraordinary photo shoot where you went, I believe, as a red rebel into the sea in Cornwall and and we saw in real time the sea levels rising, which was very powerful. But then quite soon after that, you began to be seen in public in actions where you were in colours other than red and that you were beginning to channel it seemed to me, other energies than the lifeblood of the Earth. And I wonder if we can talk a little bit about what those other colours were and how they arose and how it felt.
1: Yeah, so um, the action which you're talking about it was an action which we did in August 2019 in the sea in St Ives, um, which was about sea levels rising. And it was an incredibly powerful action to be part of. And we stood for around... 45 minutes while the tide rose around us um, to represent the rising sea levels and um, until well we were one being in the water and certainly I'm quite small and uh, my feet were no longer on the ground when we when we left the water. Good lord. So it was it was amazing and very very powerful to to watch I believe and a lovely film was made of it too and then We had uh, ideas for other colours which were kind of bubbling away. And it was only actually um, in, for me, from my perspective, in January of this year that things really started to kind of click in. One of the inspirations for the Red Rebel Brigade was Butoh Theatre. It's a a Japanese style of theatre and it's very much about stillness and um, tuning in. So I kind of went back to the origins of it and thought a lot about Butoh Theatre and different costumes and different ways of expressing things through costume and through movement. And um, in October, 2019, we one of the actions which we had wanted to do was to go into the British Museum and attend a ceremony for the returning of the bones to the ancestors. And we mm. were unable to do that. The museum closed down um when the demonstration started and we just weren't able to get in but it stayed very much on on, on a number of us small number of us it stayed very much on our radar and it was some, somewhere that we knew felt a deep knowing that we needed to go there and we needed to do something so in contact with BP or not BP who do a lot of work or have done a lot of work with the British Museum and um trying to get fossil fuels out of culture I spoke to them in January about the Reds attending something which they might be doing there and through the conversations it became apparent that they they weren't keen on having the Reds there partly because the Reds even though we're separate from Extinction Rebellion we were visually very much tied to XR and it presented an opportunity to do something different so I worked with Doug And um, another costume designer fell on developing some costumes that could represent oil. And um, we Mm -hmm. came up with the black oil slick characters. We launched them for the BP or not BP uh, Fall of Troy demonstration.
0: Fall of Troy. Can you say a little bit more about that?
1: So the British Museum had an exhibition about Troy. And um, BP or not BP staged a demonstration in February 2020, a huge demonstration where they, they brought in a Trojan horse in front of the museum and um, had lots of characters to talk about removing fossil fuels from the British Museum. Mm. The black oil slick characters appeared there for the very first time. So the costumes are quite different to the Red Rebel costumes. Whereas the Red Rebels represent blood, the black costumes represent oil. And um, the concept of that was taken totally within the design of the costumes. So, So they move like oil. The fabric that they're made of is very heavy fabric and they flow like oil. The movements that we do are very slow, similar to the Red Rebels. But when you perform it, you're, you're constantly feeling the movement of oil, that, that flow. Mm. And on a subtle level, the performing of it is, is a very different feeling to being a Red Rebel. When you're being a Red Rebel, even though there's a deep grief that you feel, a grief for all that is lost and all that is being lost, and a deep love as well, there's a a warmth to it I guess a real kind of heart opening warmth to it but doing oil you you feel like this kind of I don't know it's a a kind of a darkness that you feel Mm. you almost feel the kind of the 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 fossilized I don't know that deep kind of compression of everything in the ground coming out and certainly performing it for the for the very first time that was really I was very very aware of that in the British Museum the thing which came through most of all was that oil should be left in the ground it was like we shouldn't actually be performing this even like wow. this shouldn't it? this shouldn't exist this should be kept in the ground this should be left exactly where it was
0: Okay, interesting. Yeah,
1: so as you can imagine, I'm sure, doing the the, um, shielding and grounding when you perform something like that is very important.
0: Yeah, how do you... I'm really interested in... Let me get my question straight, but I'm imagining that when you are being the lifeblood of the earth, there is extraordinary grief and despair, but it has a certain cleanliness to it, clarity a kind of a healing and letting it flow. What I'm hearing from the oil slick is not that. There's there's a sense of something being out of balance and possibly dangerous isn't the right word, but contaminated, toxic, all of the things that I guess I'm projecting onto oil. Did you find yourself taking that home or was your shielding good enough that you were able to kind of walk through the oil slick and come out of it still being the Sophie Miller that started?
1: In answer to your question, yes, I was able to. <laughs> it's quite okay. a short answer, isn't it?
0: Yes, yes, it's good. That's fine. I
1: would say that one of the things which which we do at the end of every action, whether it's red or oil slick, is take time to come out of the action. <laughs> so it's not simply a matter of, of taking off your costume and leaving. There is time always given to closing whatever it is we've done.
0: And can you say a bit about what you do?
1: Yeah, um, I think probably every group does it differently. But with my group, we take three breaths. We take one breath for the earth. We take one breath for all the species that we've represented. And then our final breath we take for ourselves. And as we breathe right. out we say our own names and we call ourselves back into our bodies wow and then we take off our headdresses or then it's closed and and it's done so doing that is is enormously helpful really yes. and it seems incredibly simple it it's you know it doesn't take hours it's it's yeah. short but it 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 seems to do tie off whatever needs to be tied off and
0: yeah
1: brings you back
0: and did that, it, it feels very much like what people do at the end of constellation work when they've been um, taking the part of some other person in a constellation. Do you know if it came from that or did you make it up and it turns out to be the same because this is I what made works? it
1: up and it turns okay. out to be
0: the same. That's very interesting. I've never interesting. even
1: heard of constellation work, but it sounds interesting. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I just it seemed to me to be like the the most sensible thing to do. And um, that's why I said other groups, other other people who lead groups might have their own way of doing it.
0: But if you're starting to have worldwide zooms, presumably you're also sharing best practice, and this is what works for us, and other people can use it if they want to.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly, Manda. But yeah, mm-hmm. to go back to what you said before, the oil is and it is really different, and the way that you summed it up there is is very much very very accurate um certainly with the oil there's a it's like a non-judgment thing it's like everything it feels equal like you could pour over a city or a landscape or it's not like a natural landscape is any better or worse than a tarmac road it's all feels mm-hmm. so equal when you're oil but when you're doing uh red, then there's a lot a a much stronger connection to the natural landscape. We did an action recently at HS2, at the HS2 site.
0: Oh, did you. Well done. And was that as Red? You were as Red Rebels there?
1: That was as Red Rebels, yeah. And that was incredibly powerful, doing it in that landscape, because tuning in when you're somewhere like that, tuning into the natural world, we, all of us who were there, felt the absolute I think the best way that we described it was screaming. Mm.
0: Mm.
1: It You could feel the landscape screaming, which actually, even if you're not that way inclined, it makes sense because the trees have been ripped from the ground. The mycelium, mm. which exists mm. on a biological level, is screaming. So yes. it's you could feel it in the landscape. Yeah.
0: And yet the people doing it, have managed to shut themselves off to the point where they're not feeling it. For those listening who are not in the UK, HS2 is high-speed to rail line that, that appears to have been driven quite deliberately through pretty much the last of England's really ancient primordial forests are not the word anymore, they're woods, but there are some very, very old trees there which are being systematically slaughtered to to run a, a rail line which is going to take 20 minutes off the journey time from London to Bristol. At a, and, and even at a time when London and Bristol were big city hubs, that was pointless. But now that Covid's hit and everybody's starting to work from home and they are not going back. Anyway, I could rant. And I'm wondering now because what it feels to me as if you're doing is that this is shamanic practice in action. You're a group of people, you're dropping out of consensus reality. I would be so interested in in somehow really measuring the group brainwaves of a Red Rebel group in action, because I'm sure you've shifted out of beta, you're probably not even in alpha, you're probably heading towards at least Delta. Um theta or delta. And you're entering that space between the worlds, that cleavage point, in the energy of whatever is happening. And that's what shamanic practice is. It's stepping into the space between the worlds in order to ask for help. And the help that you're asking for is from the earth. And it's to move the actions forward if you're working for XR, or it's to presumably help the group BP or not to BP to shift attitudes around fossil fuels or it's to help the land at the the forests that are being cut down for HS2 to heal and perhaps to change the energy of that so that they stop, which would be good.
1: Yes, and, absolutely. And I think as well, there's an element that we have to accept when we go out that we don't know what we're doing. There's no right. plan. You don't right. know why you're doing it. Certainly, leading there's a there's a lot of trusting your heart with what feels right and what feels right might not be the obvious thing to do it might not be the obvious action that has you know loads of media coverage but for some Mm -hmm. reason you just know that this is the right place to go and this is the right thing to do there and I think that there's an appreciation for for most groups and certainly people who are in the the role of 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 leading that you trust that reasoning that you're working for for a different purpose it's not when when you're out it's not you it's not me leading I'm I'm working for something else I'm I'm following something else and it some people describe it and I I I do feel it like you are you follow a line when you go out it's like a kind of a thin line that takes you through a demonstration takes you to wherever you need to go to the person that you need to be with and you know how long to stay there and then you know exactly when to move and if you can tune into that and just stay open and present with that then it Mm. will be right And it might not be right now, and it might not be right tomorrow, but there's something there that has shifted that maybe in a week or in five years or whenever, at exactly the right moment, that that has pushed something. It's nudged up against something and shifted it.
0: Yes, and that trust, the ability to listen to the song of the stars or the song of the earth or whatever it is that you're listening to, trust it, act on it, so it's that what do you need of me now? Okay, what I need to do is is follow this instinct and let go of having to know the outcomes. If If we could all do that, the world would be a different place. So what I'm interested in also is when you're not in character, you're not in costume with the makeup on, when you're at home, how do you recharge your batteries? Because I'm guessing you come home pretty drained or does the bubble manage to continue so that you're not feeling exhausted
1: afterwards (laughs) well I try and spend a lot of time in nature and go to the beach and I'm very lucky living in Cornwall but I think I'm a bit like a dynamo in some ways that I get charged up by doing things and I feel like doing the work like the work of what I'm doing is what feeds me So certainly from doing the Red Rebel stuff and the oil slick and learning to trust that, learning to to just follow that line, that feeds now into all of my activism work. So um, I now working uh, across lots of things, doing Ocean Rebellion. Um, is one big thing that I'm involved in at the moment, which is a sister organisation to Extinction Rebellion. And
0: are you doing this in a, in a costumed role in, as a group or as an individual?
1: As a group. And we have some costumes which we, um, again, developed. Uh, we brought those out at the Marine Extinction March. They were blue costumes um, with kind of long trailing sleeves and a kind of flowing sort of wave-like movement. So to answer your question about recharging... That's maybe part of recharging.
0: <laughs> yes, I remember back to Jill Coombs and we talked a lot on our podcast about the Trembling Warrior, about how do we, first of all, find our courage and where do we find where our limits are and then how do we make sure we don't burn out? But I'm sensing that you're not burning out arises from doing more actions. Uh, which is which is amazing because for the rest of us actions leave us feeling completely shattered, <laughs> and then we have to go home and recover. So, the question that arose from that for me was the the borderlines of your courage seem seem to me to be boundless. I know at the moment the police are not arresting red rebels, but it has to be a possibility every time you walk into the centre of an action and stand in front of the police, they could. They could decide not to look in your eyes and simply to to go full on police instead. How do you how do you find in your trembling warriorness the courage to keep moving?
1: Well, the Red Rebels are essentially non-arrestable, as in we we have no intention to to be arrested, and um, I have. Done actions in the past, not with reds, but I've I've been arrested, and um, I knew that I was going to be arrested when I I did the action. It was it was what needed to happen at that point. But everything else I've done has been essentially non-arrestable because okay. the point hasn't been okay. to be arrested. However, whenever, as you know, whenever you attend a demonstration, that is a risk that that is is present. And um, certainly in October, there were situations where there was definitely the potential there to be arrested um particularly when the police decided to outlaw protest that we went out with numbers written on our arms so that we we were kind of covered for that but we had to kind of yeah we had to accept that in ourselves that there was that risk there even though we weren't actually protesting we were there to witness the protest and how do we find the courage well on a i can only speak for myself but i feel like what choice do i have like mm-hmm. this is the situation that we're in i i I guess, you know, given everything, I would probably rather be on the beach with my children. However, what choice do I actually have? And also I think when you when I'm following that that line, when I'm I'm standing in truth and I know that this is the right thing to do, then I don't know, courage doesn't even come into it, Manda, to be honest with you. It doesn't feel like courage. Courage feels like doing something difficult. The, mm. This doesn't feel difficult. This feels necessary.
0: That's, that I am in awe, but also in extreme gratitude. So we're heading towards the end of our time. Cara will probably tell me we've passed over it. But um, you have actions coming up. Are there any that you can tell us anything about or do we just wait and see?
1: Hopefully by, by the time the podcast goes out, shipping emissions won't be able to just keep
0: Oh well done! Right, without us at least noticing, they're happening. Yay! That's a good note to end on. Then shipping emissions at least being noticed by people. Um, and I would just like to say, it wasn't a, a Red Rebel action, but Extinction Rebellion today, on the day of recording, is the eleventh. Took a wreath to the cenotaph, which I thought was an extraordinary, creative, and courageous, and eye catching and wonderful thing for them to do. I am, I am constantly in awe of the of the creativity and the ways that people are finding to remind people that we have to act and looping back to the beginning and you said someone has to do something and i am someone and uh, there are a lot of someone's out there and not everybody leads a red rebel group in cornwall so sophie thank you so much for all that you're doing and for coming onto the podcast
1: thank you for having me amanda
0: so that's it for another week Huge thanks to Sophie for her courage, her connectedness to all that is sacred, and for her sheer heartfelt integrity. I so hope the action in London goes well. We will put pictures in the show notes of that and any of the other actions for which we can find pictures, because some of them are genuinely incredible. And if you want to become more active in your world, then Sophie provides a perfect model If you think someone should do something, and you are someone, then there's a lot of support for you to get out and do it, whatever it is. And finding that authenticity, finding that sense of self that sings, that is the dynamo that is recharged by your action, that is what we're for, that is what we're about, that is what conscious evolution will arise from. If we can't be ourselves the best of ourselves, then, really, I think we're finished. And I don't think we're finished. The world is changing, and we can be part of that change to make sure that we move towards a flourishing future. So anyway, we will be back next week with another conversation. And in the meantime, thanks, as always, to Cara C for the music at the head and foot of the podcast and for the sound production. Thanks to Faith Tillery for being the other half of the creative team that is Accidental Gods, and for designing the website. If you want to come and visit us there, the address is accidentalgods.life. You will find the show notes there, all of the other podcasts, the visualizations and meditations in the resources section, and most importantly of all, you will find ways to join the Accidental Gods membership program, so that you can find ways To join the conscious evolution, our program is a structured set of week-by-week, even day-by-day instructions of things that you can do to connect more fully, more strongly, more deeply to the web of life, so that you can ask those questions that Sophie was talking about. You can find the thread of energy that is yours to follow, and you can follow it in the world. So if you know of anybody else who would like to be active in this way, to be part of the generative dance that is going to bring the world to life, then do send them this link. And in the meantime, that's it for now. See you next week. Thank you. And goodbye.